our world is growing ever fractured and divided. The idea of oneness and unity seems to be viewed as more archaic, obsolete. But God gave each of us a unique calling. Living for His purpose allows us to leave our attitudes of disharmony behind. Through the miraculous sacrifice of Jesus, it allowed us to come together as one family. Our individual strengths become synergized as one people. Through each aspect of our lives, God proves to us that He is immeasurably more. Great to see you, Purpose Church. It's so good to be together here online. Uh, today we're continuing our winter series, Immeasurably More, a study in the book of Ephesians. And today I'm going to cover the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 4, and then Pastor Marcus Robinson, our new young adult pastor, is going to come up and cover verses 7 through 16. So we are so excited uh, to be able to share God's Word together uh, here this morning. Uh, the title for my part of today's study is The Power of Unity. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in, in unity. It's good and pleasant, but it's also powerful and more effective. A unified army is more powerful than a disunified army. You know, it's discouraging when you read in American history uh, during times of war, uh, those times, and, and, and fortunately they're few and far between, but those times when the Army, Navy, or Air Force, or Marines, when they're competing with each other, uh, either for glory in a battle, or maybe two uh, generals that are on the same side are fighting over power or control or budget in our military, uh, we, because we know, it's discouraging, because we know that a united military is a more effective military, and a united military is a more powerful military. And this is also true for teams and businesses and organizations and schools and churches and nations. Uh, a member of our daughter Abby's and son-in-law Kenny's uh, Bible study in Washington, D.C., he just retired uh, as the pilot uh, for Air Force One. So Abby got to tour um, uh, the uh, current one, uh, the current Air Force One, and she got a chance to uh, tour that uh, just this past uh, Wednesday uh, because uh, this friend of theirs was retiring as the pilot of Air Force One. Uh, now there are two of them, but the Air Force One that, she, that Abby got to tour was the one that flew in circles nonstop with President uh, Bush uh, in, on 9-11 uh, throughout uh, that uh, terrible day in American history. And I got to thinking about how unified we were as a nation for just that one day, just for that one day, how united we were as a country. And, and I really miss that. Don't you? I miss it, and I best... I bet you do as well. Philippians 1 verse 27 says, Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, you know, I've said this many times before, that I've seen God bless 
every kind of church. I've seen him bless big churches and small churches, rural churches, suburban churches, uh, urban churches. I've seen uh, God bless traditional service uh, churches, uh, liturgical churches, and charismatic churches. I've seen him bless all kinds of churches, but the one kind of church I've never seen God bless is a divided church, is a divided church. And we need to be especially vigilant, especially during times of transition, to protect our unity. Now, I mentioned before that my retirement is not imminent, but it is on the horizon. It's not imminent, but it is on the horizon. And Satan loves to attack churches during times of change. Uh, Paul uh, speaks in Acts chapter 20. He says to the Ephesian elders, uh, to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Any attitude that causes disharmony is sin. Now, those are strong words. But Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Uh, these things uh, God hates. They're things that he uh, finds detestable. Now, why would God lump together uh, hands that shed innocent blood and a person who stirs up conflict in the community of, of, of God followers, believers, uh, Christ followers? And the reason, I think, is because a unified church has great power to reach people for Christ. And a divided church can cause great harm to Christ's reputation. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings, your church services, do more harm than good. Now, why in the world would Paul say that? Well, he goes on to say in verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and these were harming Christ's reputation uh, this divided church, the divisions within the church. Uh, you know, an example from history is we think of the signing of the Declaration of Independence as an important moment in history. But it was actually a terrifying act of defiance when a small group of people stood up against the greatest empire in world history up until that time. And after it was over, Benjamin Franklin uh, said, gentlemen, we must hang together or we will surely hang separately. And that's a picture of the church. We're a group gathered against Satan and the prevailing culture, and we must hang together or we will hang separately. Uh, that's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But when the church gets divided, that's when we're separate off on our own, and that's when we can be devoured. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
And then Paul goes on to present three challenges. First of all, he says, live a life worthy of your calling. He says in verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Uh, Live up to your calling, not to someone else's. Live up to your calling, not to someone else's calling. Nobody can live your life better than you. God has called you, and, and, and only you can live that particular purpose and calling to its fullest. And don't get caught in the trap of trying to imitate somebody else's calling. Fulfill the calling that Christ has given to you. I get such a kick out of this. It, it's from one man's diary that read this way. Saturday, January 11th. Slept in today, read the paper, wasted most of the day lying around watching TV. Was listening to Christian radio tonight, though, challenged by the message. The guy said the problem with the world today is too many lazy Christians. And so his next entry, Sunday, January 12th. After church, I bade farewell to my wife and kids and spent the afternoon collecting canned goods for the soup kitchen in the city. Met the family back at church just in time for evening service. Speaker talked about the decline of the family. He said that fathers don't spend enough time with their children anymore. Monday, January 13th, left work a little early, took the kids out to eat, and then to a movie. Um, A great time. Back at home, uh, I was flipping the channel on TV special on world hunger, and it caught my eye. You could support someone for an entire month, the announcer said, for the cost of dinner and a movie. Tuesday, January 14th, fasted all day. Then went to men's fellowship meeting. We had a special speaker who talked about physical fitness, emphasizing that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said the key to being in shape is good nutrition and exercise. Wednesday, January 15th, got up at 6.15 a.m. to jog. After work, shot some hoops with the kids. Driving back from basketball court, tuned into another radio preacher. This one talked about burnout said people are so busy with church, family, activities, work, etc., that they never have time for themselves. Thursday, January 16th, slept in today, read the paper, wasted most of the day lying around, didn't bother to turn on the radio. Well, so many times we just jump from one thing to the next because it's somebody else's calling, it's somebody else's challenge, rather than the one that God has called us to do. Uh, I was visiting a family from our church, and they had this Bible verse on their television. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Boy, there are probably about 5,000 TVs within our church family. Would it be something if we each had that verse uh, on our our television? What a challenge that uh, would be. But worthless things are not just sinful things. But they're also things that are not productive for living up to your calling. They're secondary things, not the primary thing that God has called you to do. My father-in-law used to say that you have to strengthen these muscles. Got to strengthen the muscles that go like this because your no that you say to secondary things will strengthen your yes to the primary things that God has for your calling. God has something for me to do that he hasn't designed anyone else for. And the opposite is also true. There are certain things that you are not to do because that is not a part of your calling and it may be a part of someone else's calling. 
Uh, we see this in the life of Jesus. Uh, Luke 4, verse 43, but Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. He was in Capernaum at this time. And he says, I've got to leave and go to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Now, were there still other people where he was in Capernaum that, that needed him? Absolutely. They needed healings. They needed his teaching. They needed him. But he moved on to the other towns because that was his calling. And then Jesus said at the end of his earthly life, shortly before he went to the cross, he says in John 17, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth, he says to God the Father, by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, what was his most important work? Well, it was to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the grave. Um, and so it says in Luke 9, 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He, he fixated on the calling of the primary calling that God had given him, which was to go to the cross and then rise from the grave. Were there still people who needed healing when he died on the cross? Uh, absolutely. But what if he had done more physical healings but never made it to the cross for our spiritual healing? He would have missed his calling. Uh, my friend Tom Mercer says, even Jesus didn't do it all. Even Jesus didn't do it all. And so we are to follow uh, God's primary calling for our lives. And sometimes that means saying no to certain things so that we can say yes to the most important thing. What is that one thing or the most important things that God wants you to do in order to fulfill your calling? What, what are those things that he has called you to do? And you must make sure that you do those before your time on earth is finished or before Christ returns. Um, I love these quotes by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, use me, God. Show me how to take who I am, who I want to be, and what I can do, and use it for a purpose greater than myself. This may be my most favorite uh, a quote from Dr. King. He said, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. And then one final quote that I just love. He says, when you discover what you're going to be in life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Because he did. And your calling is so important. It, it, you're the only person that can fulfill your particular calling. God can give, give you um, you live up to who you were meant to be and nobody else can compete with that. And you don't have to compete with others. Um, number two, be considerate of our differences. Okay, be considerate of, of our differences. In verse two, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, we all have different callings. So we should be considerate of the differences 
in our callings. Uh, can I share with you one of a couple of my pet peeves? One of my pet peeves is when Christians criticize other Christians because they have an assignment from God that is different from their assignment. Uh, that that is, is hard to see. Another of my pet peeves is when churches criticize other churches because they have an assignment from God that is different than their assignment. Couldn't it be that God has given different churches different assignments? We're not meant to be cookie cutters. We're, we're meant to reach different people in, in different ways, individual Christians and churches. And, and so we need to be considerate of our differences with each other. They, they, they may just be um, a different thing. You know, I, I remember um, years ago, I was pastoring back in Homer, New York, near Syracuse, New York, and there was a conference in Buffalo, New York, um, which was a city a couple hours away, two and a half hours away. And Carl George, who is very interesting, he was doing a church growth conference. And so I went to it, never realizing that years later, uh, God would use Carl George to get me here to our church uh, here in Pomona. But that's, that's, that's another story. But I remember Carl George, uh, there was a pastor, uh, I'm gonna, not going to say his name, but he was from California, and I was very critical of this pastor, uh, and my friends were all critical as well. We were all critical of this pastor because we thought he was watering down the gospel, okay? Uh, not, not really sharing the full gospel, watering down uh, the gospel. But Carl George told a story about sitting next to a man on an, uh, on an airplane, and this guy was Jewish, and he was an atheist, and he says, you know, I've never considered the claims of Christ, not even given them any, any attention whatsoever. But he said, I've been listening to this guy, watching him on television, and it was this preacher here from California. And he said, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm beginning to think that maybe, just maybe, there's a God. You see, this pastor that I was so critical of, he was really good at pe getting people from home plate to first base. Now, most of our churches are better at getting people from first base to second base or from second base to third base or third base home than we are getting people that are completely far away from God to that first step to getting them to the first, first base. And yet, this, the calling on this pastor was to get people that were far from God to at least consider that there might be a God. And his calling was different than my calling and different than most of my friends' calling. And so we were critical of that. And that humbled me and made me think, you know, maybe, just maybe, um, people's callings are different from each other. Uh, this is a little bit dangerous to talk about this because I know it's quite the controversy uh, today among Christians. But did you see the Super Bowl commercial called He Gets Us? And I'm in a unique position because I've been able to spend some pretty good time and will get even more time with the person that produced that commercial for the Super Bowl. But also, uh, one of my best friends is, uh, is somebody who nationally was the most critical of that commercial because it shared um, part of the gospel, but not all of the gospel. Well, could it just be the reason we get divisive on these things is because it's just a different calling. And some people are called to one calling to get people to at least consider Christ to begin with. 
And other people are, are supposed to take people further along. From, from get, some people are called to get them from home plate to first base, and others, uh, churches and people are called, Christians, to get them from first to second base, and others thir- second to third, and, and, and third to home. Like Paul said, um, some watered, some planted, but God gave the increase. And so we need to be considerate of our differences and our different callings. And then number three, make every effort to keep the unity. He says in verses three through six, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One body, we're all part of the same group, one Spirit, the same energy, one hope, the same goal, one Lord, the same master, one faith, the same journey, one baptism, the same way, one God, the same example. Let me close with a warning and with an encouragement. First of all, uh, the warning. He says in Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 5.15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. But here's the encouragement. But the fruit of the Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit to help us to stay unified in our church, to help us to stay unified with other Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It's uh, gentleness and self-control. It's love. I'll love you regardless of your views. It's joy. I will not let our differences take away my joy. It's peace. I'm content with Jesus as the head of the church. It's forbearance. You are developing on God's schedule, not mine. It's kindness. I will be gracious about our differences. It's goodness. I will seek to respond to you as Jesus would. It's faithfulness. I will not abandon you no matter what. Uh, Gentleness. I will not get mad at you uh, no matter how we differ. Self-control. I will not overreact to our disagreement. Now, Pastor Marcus is going to come up and uh, pick it up with verse uh, 7. And I'm so anxious to hear what God is going to say to us uh, through Pastor Marcus. So today I'm going to talk about God's generosity towards the individual the church, and the world. I believe that God is generous and wants us to have immeasurably more. In this season of our church history, we must lean into this truth about the nature of our Lord. Christ is the head of our church. From his establishment over 150 years ago, he has been faithful, drawing thousands of people to himself through the ministry of this local church and the church globally. I believe that God will continue to show his great generosity in the years to come. Um, If you will, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. The Apostle Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended for above, far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, two things stand out there. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus. In this passage, Paul explains that after Jesus' victory on the cross, he gave gifts to his church. These gifts came at a high price. And, and if you're asking me, like, what is the high price you're talking about, Pastor Marcus? The high price is Jesus lived 33 years of perfection. <laughs> Something that I could not do, that is a very high price. Um, not only did he live 33 years of perfection obeying God's, um, his, his will, his law, he was rejected by the Jews. It's a high cost to be rejected. Um, when we look at the high price that Jesus paid for these gifts, we look at what happened to him on the cross. Very high price to pay for us to have gifts, right? So here's my main point right here. I'm, I'm going to get it out right here at the beginning before I go off on a tangent. Uh, the main point is this. In light of what Jesus has done, the price that he paid to give us gifts, we are expected to live a certain way. We are expected to walk in love, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. We are expected to use our spiritual gifts to equip each other for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to emulate the giving nature of our Lord by giving our lives back to him as living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. All of this is done in view of God's great mercy and God's great generosity. If you would, would you turn to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Paul says, um, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are, are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ doesn't give his church gifts so that we can be puffed up with pride, but so that we can be more like him. Uh, what do I mean to be more like him? Does that mean to align yourself with some political party? No. Does it mean that uh, we, we should be social justice warriors? That's not what it means. Does it mean that we should go to seminary and, and learn a lot of theology? No, that's not it either. When we become more like Christ, love becomes the measure of maturity. When we as a church aim to love the way Christ loves, the church is working properly and we uphold his reputation. Turn with me to um, 1 John 4.16 um, the Apostle John says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. I'm going to read that part again. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What does that mean? The essence of who God is, is love. And when you love, you're like God. And when our church walks in love, we're a church that is fitting into the head of Christ, who's the head of the church, and we're all different parts of the body. Now, I want to talk about God's generous nature. Um, John 3.16, I mean, everyone who's heard the gospel message at some point has heard John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life, eternal life. God gives generously and God gives sacrificially. God gives himself for the sake of others. When you see pastors and ministers who are faithful to the call, they do the same thing. They give generously and they give sacrificially their time, their energy, their talents, and their lives for the sake of others. As disciples, God expects us to copy, to imitate his generous nature. I, I love this passage um, in Luke. Um, Luke, 6, Luke 6, verse 38, um, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, um, will it be put in your lap. For with the measure you use it, will it be measured back to you. Okay, so in this verse, Jesus describes how his faithful followers live. And they live in a way where they give. They give their time. They give their, their spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. And, and what Jesus says is, it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put in your lap for the measure in which you give. Now, I want to say this. I'm confident that Jesus will be faithful to his promise, to you, to this church. I know that there are people here who have worked for years in this church serving, using their gifts to build up and to equip the church. And I want to say, this verse is for you. This verse is for you. Because of your, your, your giving, your time, your sacrifice, I believe that God wants to give you pressed down, good measure, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. I believe that the blessing that's coming to you is going to be more than what you can imagine and more than what you can think. I also want to encourage you, some of you guys have been working for years and years and maybe haven't gone notice. Um, I want to say this, God notices. And much of your reward might be just the legacy that you leave behind here at Purpose Church. Much of your reward, you might not even realize until you get into heaven that, wow, I have impacted so many people because of my, my faithfulness to use my gifts to edify and to strengthen the church. So God blesses his church with spiritual blessings, which include the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. Um, Ephesians 4, 7 through 8 um, it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. The, the best gift that any person can ever receive is the gift from God, 
which is the Holy Spirit. That is the best gift any believer can receive. And every believer has it. Every born-again believer has the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God desires to build up his church as the Holy Spirit flows through you. As you yield to his work in your heart, God desires to build up the church with the gifts that he has given you. So God gives gifts to the individual believer um, in the form of spiritual gifts. So I, I want to um, just talk about what are spiritual gifts. There's a lot of debate and, and talk about what spiritual gifts are. Um, I went to a Bible dictionary and I pulled this out. So this is not my own definition, but this is from a Bible dictionary. And it says, spiritual gifts are, are gifts given to Christians by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building up the church. Um, the list of spiritual gifts um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 includes wisdom, knowledge, Faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And a similar list appears in Ephesians 4, 7 through 13, and Romans 12, 3 through 8. Part of God giving himself to us is giving the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have to give us the Holy Spirit, but because he's generous, he gives us a measure of the Spirit's grace so that we can operate in spiritual gifts. I love in John chapter 15, um, verses 26 to 27, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us as individuals to attain the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God. The Holy, the Holy Spirit helps fuel our desire to love God and to love others and to carry out the mission of the church. Now, I, I've seen the world try to obtain unity, and they, they haven't done a good job. And what I mean is I, I see, I've seen the world trying to obtain racial unity, <laughs> And I don't know how well they've done. I, I lived through 2020 and all that drama, and I don't think they've done very well. Uh, I, I've seen the, the world try to achieve political unity and every other kind of unity, and it doesn't seem to be working. But real unity happens when we as a church decide to walk in the love that can only be generated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You will not discover the good works that God has prepared for you unless you are spending time with him. But it is not just enough for you to spend time with God. You must spend time with his people. That is where we learn how to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. God's gift to the church is you. You're God's gift to the church. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you walk in love, you are God's gift to the church. What do I mean by this? As we allow the Holy Spirit to access every part of our lives, we begin to see Christ more clearly. What do I mean by that? I'm, I'm wearing these glasses. 
And I'm going to tell you, I wasn't old until about three weeks ago. Okay? About three weeks ago, I, I was, you know, seeing 2020, I thought. And then I started reading a book at home. I was reading a book for my, for my doctorate program. And, and as I opened the book, everything was kind of blurry. And I called my wife over and I was like, Kate, I don't know, something's wrong with my eyes. Like, everything's a little blurry. She's like, just give it a rest. Just take a, take a rest. Go walk, you know, and come back and, and, and see if your eyes are better. So I took a rest, came back, and no, everything was still blurry. So she's like, you're going to need to go to the doctor and, and get your eyes checked out. And um, so I, I went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, when was the, you know, how are your eyes? How are you doing? I, I was like, well, it's 2020, you know, as far as I know, you know, um, three weeks ago, I couldn't see. Things were getting blurry. And he was like, when was the last time you were at the doctor? Like, oh, 1988. He's like, oh, that, that was quite a while. Um, and he checked my eye, you know, we, w- we got on the machine, he started switching things around. And the more he began to switch things around, things became a little more clear. And he switched them up. He's like, how was that? He had me reading like a little chart. He's like, how was that? And I was like, yeah, I can see it better. He's, he switched it a little bit more. How was that? Oh, I can see it. And then he's like, how about that? Oh, it's perfect. He's like, yeah, you're, I mean, your eyes were pretty bad, man. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right. Well, well, well thank you. So he, he got me these, these glasses I'm wearing now. And as I thought about that, I was like, you know what? Like, just as I need these glasses to help me see better, we need the church. We need each other to help us see God more clearly. Each of us are a different expression of the love and the nature and the majesty of God. Each of us carries a piece of this puzzle. And, and when, we, when we come to church, it's like putting on glasses. We can see more clearly the love of God. And I think it's important that, that we come together as Christians and grow in God's grace together. The Christian life is, is, is a lot more than our personal salvation. You know, a lot of times we, we hear the gospel and we're like, praise God, I'm going to heaven. And, and you think that, that the whole thing ends there. It doesn't. It's not about just your personal salvation, although that's awesome. But God has so much more for us. God saved us so that we can live in community together. As we experience God's love um, and as the Holy Spirit works through each of us, we are changed and become more like him. We become mature and we become united as the church. What do I mean? The mystery of the gospel was this. The mystery of the gospel was this. We are all so different. How in the world can we get along? That's the mystery. Like the mystery of the gospel is people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping and loving the same God together. The mystery of the gospel is the Holy Spirit unites us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love. The mystery of the gospel is we all love the same Savior and experience the wonderful grace that only comes through the cross and what Jesus provided for us when he died on that cross for our sins. That's the mystery of the gospel. So I'm going I'm to close with this last part right here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. God gives mature leaders who equip the saints as a gift to the church. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it says, And he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Church leaders are a gift. We're not better than any of you. We're, We're all serving together. We're all part of the of the body of Christ, Christ is the head, but God blesses his church with faithful leaders. And I just want to take this time to honor all of the faithful leaders who have labored for years and years at this church, generations ago, the faithful leaders who have helped establish this church. I want to acknowledge you and say thank you. Thank God for you and the work that you have done here. God's gift to the church is your leadership in your work, and your faithfulness in serving the church. Um, Ephesians, he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. There are a variety of giftings, a variety of personalities, a variety of strengths. You, you'll see uh, Pastor Eric, he's, he's much different than me. Pastor Gunderson, much different than me. Pastor Greg, much different. We're all different, but we all have the same thing in mind, and that is how can we best equip you to love God better? How can we assist you in your walk with the Lord so that everyone everywhere will be following Christ? God's gift to the world is a church that walks in its purpose. What does it mean to walk in its purpose? A church walking in God's purpose is a church that fulfills the great commission. Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Essentially immersing them in the love of the Father. Immersing everyone in the love of Jesus Christ and the love of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a church that walks in love. Imagine a church that walks in unity. Imagine a church living and experiencing the generosity of Christ. Imagine a church living out the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you for all that you're doing. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe, Lord, that you're going to continue your work in this church. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would release every kind of spiritual gift, that you would increase our love, our capacity to love one another, our capacity to love you. And I pray, Lord, that we would see great days ahead of your love and your mercy active in this church. We love you. We commit this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.